Welcome back to MERS Monday for more than 10 years, the Michigan political podcast. In this week's edition, six legislators are nominated to be the MERS Democratic Legislator of the Year. Who is nominated? Who won? Incoming Senate Majority Floor Leader Sam Singh talks about how he sees the Senate operating in 2023 under Democratic control. And two Michigan Republican Party chair candidates make their case on the podcast. Listen to Lena Epstein with her supporter Ted Goodman and Billy Putman, the Tuscola County Republican Party chair and candidate on the TLC program Meet the Putmans. Now here's MERS News Editor Kyle Malin with the rest of the MERS editorial crew. Thank you, Mark Bayshore. Well, we've got a jam-packed edition here of MERS Monday, but we got to start off with our nominations for our Democratic Legislator of the Year. Now, we name a Democratic Legislator of the Year as opposed to Republican and Democrat just because Democrats have been in the minority of the state House and Senate since the year 2011. And the standards are a little different because you just don't have the same opportunities to pass legislation as you do when you are obviously in the majority. So the level of impact and the effectiveness uh, that we use and effectiveness that we use to determine who the legislators of the year are are a little different for folks who are in the minority. And since the Democrats were in minority for the entire calendar year of 2022, they get their own award. So we're going to start off the podcast with uh, the nomination of our publisher, John Rurink. John, who do you got? Uh, Kyle, I got I, I made my decision based on a couple of things. I, I started to think a lot about what it means to be a member in the minority and how difficult it is, how enormously difficult it is to get your message out, to get your voice heard, to get some some uh, visage on the stage. So I, I, I decided I want to pick up where Sam Schreiber left off last week, and I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate Mallory McMorrow as the MERS 2022 Democrat of the Year. And let me tell you why. From the moment she rose on April 19th of this year and grabbed the mic on the Senate floor, McMorrow has been operating at a level that colleagues on both sides of the aisle in the Michigan legislature can only sit back and envy. Within hours of her speech, where she challenged assertions made about her by Senator Lana Tice that she sexualized children and was a groomer, McMorrow's floor speech was tweeted out by Hillary Clinton, who urged all to please watch this incredible speech. That single tweet went out to 31 million followers. A, a shock of lightning that's pretty hard to match. McMorrow in her speech gave voice to a sentiment many in her party felt was not being addressed, that Democrats aren't monsters but hardworking parents, taxpayers, and contributors, and the demonization from the right had to stop. Her now iconic line, I know that hate will only win if people like me stand by and let it happen, struck a deep chord that a lot of Democrats and a lot of independents resonated to. She sealed the deal with her final line of the day, we will not let hate win. As Sam noted last week, McMorrow wrote her energy of, the energy of her floor speech to securing more than $2.35 million in, for the following six months from over 15,000 contributors. Those resources were not an insignificant reason why the Democrats were able to secure control of the Michigan Senate. Even if McMorrow isn't recognized as MERS Democrat of, this, of the year this year, it's clear to me that her career going forward is on a trajectory unlike any I've seen from a member of the Michigan legislature. What's next? Governor? Federal office? With the reputation McMorrow has built for herself, she's going to be a lot of fun to watch going forward. For that reason, I nominate Mallory McMorrow for Democrat of the Year. And you know, the money that she was able to raise, John, is just significant here. Uh, she helped raise 
million dollars through her PACs and uh, her campaign committees to help Democrats, not only in the Senate, but statewide. Uh, she was actually able to do a matching donation program. I mean, when's the last time you've seen a legislator be able to match somebody's donations dollar for dollar to help the Democratic cause? Uh, she was also able to have some influence in helping Winnie Brinks be the next Senate majority leader. And to cap it off, she headlined the Gridiron Dinner in Washington, D.C. here a couple weeks ago, becoming the first state legislator to do that since Barack Obama back in the aughts. So a heck of a year for Mallory McMorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just hard to imagine. I mean, we, you and I have both followed the scene for a long time, a lot of decades now. And I can't remember a, a, a member of the minority that got that much attention. I just can't. All right, well, thank you, John. Let's get some other nominations here. All right, Samantha Schreiber, who is your nominee now for Democratic Legislator of the Year? Yeah, so one thing I think is really interesting about our Democratic nominations for this year is that they definitely allow us as reporters to knit together a sort of preview of what the next two years could potentially look like as the Michigan Capitol is led by a blue trifecta. Uh, For my nomination, I am picking a Detroit senator with an extremely eclectic portfolio of bills she sponsored and who's definitely not afraid to bear her soul around the issues, uh, which is Senator Stephanie Chang. Uh, When it comes to legislation, Senator Chang was the only Democratic sponsor on a package dedicating to advancing Michigan's potential for maritime advancement. Uh, Kyle, you obviously know how much I love those maritime bills. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, She sponsored a bill creating the Maritime and Port Facility Assistance Grant Program within the Michigan Department of Treasury, which, according to Chang, in the early springtime, it could be utilized to match federal funding opportunities, dredge waterways and harbors, and repair seawalls or conduct other projects related to the ports. Uh, So her bill was successfully signed into uh, law in July of this year. And then near the end of last year, she additionally partnered with Republican Senator Altman on successful legislation requiring the state's Department of Health and Human Services to establish a community crisis response grant program, uh, which uses state budget appropriations to help communities use their own method for handling mental health emergencies, as opposed to immediately placing an individual in jail without the appropriate mental health care. So as for the things that weren't passed this year, think infrastructure reform zoomed in on climate resilience, out-of-the-box strategies to expand accessible housing, and of course the package of bills that did not survive lame duck this year. Uh, they have been introduced multiple times since Larry Nassar's conviction, which be and which would prohibit sexual abuse under the pretext of medical treatment and require the Michigan Department of Education to develop student information materials related to sexual assault and harassment. Uh, You know, these are bills that, you know, Senator Chang has essentially kind of spearheaded on for the last three years. And uh, we'll see what kind of comes next year because they were not able to make it out of lame duck. Uh, You know, I think these are each things that we can anticipate reporting on as journalists as the new year kicks off. Uh, Well, she has been uh, definitely impactful and very active and uh, effective in getting what she did get uh, done through and uh, for that reason samantha schreiber stephanie chang state senator thank you so much for uh, the nomination all right danielle james let's go ahead and get your nomination for democratic legislator of the year of course so my nomination for democratic legislator of the year is representative angela whitwer 
And I chose Whitwer because, you know, her second term in office was spent, first of all, as the Democratic Vice Chair of the Health Policy Committee, and she sat on agriculture and regular reform committees. In 2022, she was sponsor of three public acts, including PA-17, which allows training for vehicle dealers and repair facilities to be conducted by, you know, more qualified trade organizations as an alternative to department-conducted training. She also sponsored PA-29, which modifies the state parole board review process, and PA-58, which actually allows the donation of unclaimed shoes by shoe repair businesses. Her successful bills showcase the great relationship she's been able to build on both sides of the aisle, you know, including his close relationship with Representative Sarah Leitner, who is a Republican. And I think this showcases that you can be competitive, but you know, you don't have to be confrontational. In addition, Whitworth's bipartisanship allowed her to obtain endorsements that Democrats don't typically receive, like the Agro PAC. She was also one of only eight Dems to be endorsed by the Michigan Chamber of Commerce PAC. There was also, you know, not a strong Republican opponent put up against her in the 2022 race, which I think really showcases how strong she was considered to be by both sides of the aisle. And then in addition to her strictly legislative work in 2022, Whitworth served as House Democratic Campaign Chair. She assisted the party in taking majority for the first time since 2010 in the 2022 election. She was also instrumental in her behind the scenes work in assisting Representative Tate and helping him earn the position of House Speaker in 2023. So then, you know, ahead of January, Whitworth has been announced as the chair of the Committee on Committees, followed shortly after by her announcement as House Appropriations Chair. And you know, finally, my um, you know my closing argument for her is that she was actually instrumental in Governor Whitmer's first turkey pardon, <laughs> and <laughs> I think that really says something. You know, kind of rounding out her character and touching on her spirit. You know, uh, Angela Whitmer, as you mentioned, did not have a challenging Republican opponent, but uh, amid all of that, she still raised around $300,000 for her own campaign to put herself in a position to uh, win that race. And not only that, um, continue to help Democrats across the state. Even though she's in a competitive district, she was able to go out across the state and help other uh, Democrats and get those 56 seats that they needed to get majority. So a very successful year for Angela Whitworth as she raised money for herself, her PAC, her caucus, and uh, in general came out a winner on uh, multiple fronts. So uh, great nomination. Thank you, Danielle. All right, Andrew Miniger, who is your nominee for Democratic Legislator of the Year? So I'm nominating Winnie Brinks, the Grand Rapids Democrat. She'll be the first woman to serve as Senate Majority Leader in the Michigan Legislature. And with the shift of parties in Lansing, Brinks will be setting the tone for what's able to be brought to the table in the Senate. She was responsible for passing out a, a lot of committee selections uh, which were as diverse as the state is. She's also an early adopter of the abortion issue, took a national stance on the issue well before Roe versus Wade was overturned. She was outspoken against R.J. Regan. She was able to shine a spotlight on his campaign after his uh, comments uh, about rape and uh, help Carol Glanville take, take her seat. She's been in Lansing for some time, having served in the House from... 2012 2018 and this kind of be her last go around in the legislature uh even under the new new term limits but uh, as a longtime lansing insider she's able to help the the party raise quite a bit with her pack she did a head up a bipartisan call for prescription drug advocacy that became kind of a rallying cry for both the uh, republicans and democrats she was also uh 
one of the people who spoke out uh, after Patrick Loyola was shot by a Grand Rapids police officer. With all of that being said, that should be enough to nominate her as the Democratic Legislator of the Year. All right. Well, thank you, Andrew. And on top of that, obviously, she won the uh, leader's race. So there there was actually a race on that uh, front. And uh, in order to get that, she had to earn the trust and uh, the support of her colleagues, which she was able to do, and uh, helped lead the effort on the Senate Democratic side to take majority for the first time since 1984. So uh, obviously uh, some big accomplishments there uh, for Winnie Brinks. Lisa Roos Church is our judiciary reporter, and she's got a nomination for Democratic Legislator of the Year. Who do you got, Lisa? I'm representing or nominating Representative Kyra Bolden, who recently had two public acts up passed, and because she is the first African-American female appointed to the Michigan Supreme Court, and she will be the first, although the first female, she will be the third former legislator to serve on the bench since about the 1950s. Representative Bolden's two bills that became public acts were House Bill 4800 and House Bill 5062. The first amended the Uniform Assignment of Rents Act, and the second amended the Liquor Control Code to allow development of a district liquor license for a newly constructed building. And I believe that these are good reasons to nominate Representative Bolden as the Democratic Legislator of the Year. You know, Kyra Bolden had a great relationship with Graham Filler, who is the chair of the Judiciary Committee, and uh, was a uh, positive influence in getting uh, several bills through that panel. You don't become a justice on the Supreme Court just because. I mean, she took a chance by passing up on her third possible term in the state house to run for that state Supreme Court uh, seat. And in, in making that run, she raised more than a million dollars, which is more than any other candidate for the bench. Uh, for this past cycle. Uh, so for her effectiveness and for her uh, level of an, level of impact, and she did have an impact here in 2022, that's a great nomination. appreciate it, Lisa. Well, for my nomination, I'm going to go with Representative Joe Tate. And we know that Joe Tate is going to be the first Black House speaker in the Michigan House of Representatives in the year 2023. But he didn't just fall into this position. When it comes to relationship building, Tate has done that as well as anybody in both his caucus and with Republicans and with the lobbying corps and the press, if we want to extend it that far. He's always learning, asking for other people's opinions, studying up on issues before coming out with a statement or any kind of final decision. He really does look into things before making up his mind. He never shoots from the hip. He won the support of his caucus by pledging to work collaboratively and bringing in all the different interests and developing a thoughtful approach to both political and, and policy front. Um, on the political front, he called for the censure of Representative Dare Rendon after she was connected to the plot to obtain election voting tabulators. And he called out uh, for an investigation of former House Speaker Lee Chatfield to see if there were any ethical issues connected to the extensive fundraising and numerous trips that went on when he was in charge. So for emerging overall as a leader within the Democratic caucus, I'm nominating Joe Tate as the Democratic Legislator of the Year. A lot of great nominations, everybody. We're going to now um, play some Jeopardy music while we all talk about uh, who our winner is going to be here. So hold tight. <laughs> 
All right, after a good amount of conversation, we are going to award our Democratic Legislator of the Year Award to Representative Angela Whitwer. You know, Representative Whitwer is in a competitive district. She always has been in a competitive district. She was drawn into one. She won in one. And after the redraw of the redistricting map, she was still in a competitive district. And she made herself politically safe by carving out relationships with Republicans and getting bills through the legislature by making partnerships and by making coalitions with people of all different stripes. People like working with her because she is pragmatic and she's willing to make deals even if it bothers her fellow Democrats. She played the policy game and the political game exceptionally well this year. She was fortunate to have the new Delta River plant investment come into her district as well, but really beyond that, she didn't use the proverbial flamethrower against Republicans. But as the head of the campaign committee for the House Democrats, she beat them anyway, and she beat them with a smile. She won a majority that nobody thought, well, I guess most people didn't think was very possible. She got 56 seats for the House Democrats and gave them the majority. So for the reasons and that I stated here, for all the reasons laid out by Danielle James a little earlier, we are going to award Angela Whitworth our Democratic Legislator of the Year. All right, joining us now here in Mers World Headquarters is Senator-elect Sam Singh out of East Lansing. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me back, Kyle. Yeah, good to see you again. Great. Glad to have you back here at MERS World Headquarters. What do you think of the new studio? Things are looking a lot uh, better technology. It looks uh, really good. You've done a great job here. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a little different than the Morants when I when I bring out the little handheld thing, isn't it? That's right. It feels like I'm here at uh, Podcast Central. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. You're going to be the Senate Majority Floor Leader um, this next session. First of all, let's just let's touch on that. I mean, that's a that's pretty uh, that's pretty big stuff. Yeah, I'm really honored that my colleagues uh, asked me to uh, to be the majority floor leader. Uh, obviously, I've had some of the experiences on the minority side. I was the minority floor leader um, in the House as well as the uh, the minority leader, and so. Uh, you know, I had an opportunity to serve with a lot of my colleagues here in the Senate, and so uh, I was glad that they uh, said, hey, we think you're the person for the job. So what can we expect different? Is I know that you've watched what things are like over there in the Senate. Uh, do you know of any changes that you'd like to bring about? Well, I think as everyone's been asking, you know, uh, each of the, the state senators on the Democratic side is like, you know, what are your first set of bills? You know, how quickly, what are you going to do in the first 100 days? You know, having been around this town for uh, a long time, I know that, you know, Senate Bill 1 or the first 100 days are just kind of um, narratives that I think sometimes uh, the media likes or that, you know, the lobbying community likes. Uh, but to me, we have a two-year session uh, with our colleagues in the House and with the governor, and I want to make sure that we're thoughtful uh, over those two years. There's a lot of policy uh, ideas that we have uh, that have been pent up uh, because, you know, they haven't had the chance to be uh, given a hearing because of the Republican uh, control in the Senate and so forth. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of good bipartisan work that needs to get done as well. And so to me, as floor leader, I'm going to be 
watching and managing that, the expectations of everybody and making sure that people realize that this is a two-year conversation, not the first 100 days. How about the operations on the floor? Um, do you see any kind of like retribution um, on, Republic, on Republicans? No, I think what I always sense is that we need to kind of go back to the way things used to be back before term limits. And so, you know, the idea of retribution is not something that me or my colleagues uh, want to do. But I do want to be uh, thoughtful. I want to be able to take a look at building those stronger relationships with both sides uh, of the aisle. I think we want to make sure that we focus on a, a lot of bipartisan opportunities, but at the same point in time when there are ideas and, and bills that are not had uh, support over the years because they've been blocked by the Republican majority in the Senate, we're going to move those forward. And so, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with both of those uh, types of conversations, one in a partisan way, but one also in a bipartisan way. Um, so what are some bills? What are, what are some of your top priorities? Well, I think you've seen, uh, you know, when, as we've run for, uh, for office, you know, my colleagues ran on, you know, wanting to provide some tax relief. And so things like the earned income tax credit, uh, taking a look at the retirement tax. Uh, I think you want to see strong infrastructure in our state, and that goes from everything from roads and bridges to uh, broadband uh, to water uh, systems and so forth been really pleased with the bipartisan effort that the governor led to, you know, see higher investments in higher education and K through 12 education. So you'll continue to see that. Uh, you know, I think there was a one-sided conversation on behavioral health that I think will be uh, looked at in, in a different way uh, as we come forward. There was at least some good investments uh, through the budget on behavioral health, but when you're taking a look at some of the systems change things that we need to do, I think there'll be a thoughtful conversation over the next year. And so I think a lot of the ideas that have been discussed uh, on that campaign uh, stage will uh, be things that we'll be looking at over the next two years. Now, the governor had suggested a $500 rebate back to the taxpayers because of the big surplus we have. Do you see any um, excitement or have you felt any excitement toward revisiting that? Well, I think we're in that middle of that conversation as a caucus. You know, we've just had about a month since uh, yeah. elections. People, especially all of us new members to the Senate, are hiring our staff and so forth. And so, you know, we have a, a retreat set up where we'll be talking about all of our priorities, whether they're budgetary priorities or policy priorities. And so I think in January we'll have a, probably a better understanding of that. But I do think some of those things that were fundamental to the campaign, which we ran on, like EITC and retirement tax, are going to be things that we're We'll be taking a look at through the, the budgeting process. What do, we do, what do you anticipate us seeing differently as far as floor operations, be it uh, debate, uh, access, uh, the number of sessions that we could be having, anything along those lines? Well, I think we'll have the same type of uh, dialogue in the Senate. I think one of the things that I always enjoyed about uh, watching the Senate from afar is that there is more dialogue and debate. You're able to, as a senator, you have the right to speak on amendments. You have the right to put up amendments, and there's votes uh, on those things where oftentimes in the House that was not the case. And so, you know, those will, will continue uh, because I think there will be a extensive uh, set of policies that need to be discussed. Uh, you know, I'm not looking to have a light uh, calendar. You know, you take a look at the uh, Senate adjourning uh, 
you know, the first week of December. I mean, who's heard of that? Uh, you know, uh, cutting a lame duck uh, like that where there were so many other priorities that could have gotten done. You know, you're not going to see that uh, with uh, Democrats because there is a lot of policy to be discussed and so forth. So I wouldn't say there's going to be any dramatic uh, changes uh, on the floor. I mean, there might be some visual changes, you know, when we switch sides and uh, use different caucus rooms and, and things like that. But I think uh, by and large, the uh, history of the Senate uh, and the positive things where you are allowed to engage in dialogue and debate, those things will continue. So you do see the Democrats switching sides with Republicans and then you guys taking over the Elijah Myers room as a caucus room. Well, yeah, you know, obviously in the majority we have more staff and we have, um, you know, other things that need to happen. We have a larger group of, of, of people and so forth. And so, uh, yeah, I do sense that that will be one of the changes. Again, that's more cosmetic uh, mm-hmm. in the sense it's not a fundamental change to the operations, but um, it is something that, that will happen. But that kind of negates the whole left-right thing, isn't it? Wasn't, well, wasn't it the French uh, parliament that, uh, that started the whole left-right thing? Well, again, let's focus on policy. That's going to be what we do uh, here as, as Democrats. And uh, if that confuses people when they decide to see a group of Democrats on one side of the uh, chamber versus the other, we'll, uh, we'll deal with that. But I, I do think um, having uh, bipartisan conversations are things that we want to see happen. And again, if there are times where you know policies can't be that way, you know, one of the things I've seen from the business community is a push for us to you know expand Elliot Larson. You know, you would think that that should be a bipartisan thing, but if it's not, guess what? We're going to push it through because it's the right thing for Michiganders. It's the right thing for our social uh, uh, network here in the state, but also it makes good sense for business. And so we're going to do those things. We're going to be pragmatic and practical as we move policy forward. Do you see the expansion of Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act being one of the first things out of the box? Again, as I said, you know, to me, there's not a, a priority one uh, versus the other. We'll have that conversation as we do our retreat and see which items. Uh, move forward, but it is a priority of Senate Democrats. It's the priority of House Democrats, and so I won't be surprised to see that happen in the first six months. Again, this is kind of an operationals question, but something I think our listeners be interested in. Do you see the chairs of the committee having more power than maybe uh, chairs under the uh, Republican-led uh, legislature? In that, it seems like uh, during the last several sessions, the leaders of the parties um, kind of controlled things and told the chairs what they were and were not going to take up and they were more kind of puppet masters as opposed to the way it used to be where the chairs had a lot of power and uh, the leaders found out from the chairs what were what was going to be taken up. Well, I think it's going to be a partnership. Uh, you know, Leader Brinks, uh, you know, comes from the nonprofit sector, and so I think her nature is a collaborative nature, one of consensus building, and um, so I would sense that those chairs will have a strong voice in what comes forward. But also, I think you know, as a, as the leadership of our caucus, you know, we have some priorities that we know need to get done as well. And so I think there'll be a partnership, but I do think it'll be a lot different where there'll be a lot more autonomy uh, from our chairs just because of the collaborative nature that uh, Leader Brinks brings to the table. 20 to 2018 majority, of course, that's not very large. Um, how much do you see working with Republicans on certain things, and what kind of priority is that going to be for this caucus? Well, I think, as I said, you know, in any given session, it feels like 80 to 85 percent of the bills are done in a bipartisan fashion, right? The budgets that have passed under this governor have been in a bipartisan way, and my hope is, 
you know, that will uh, continue. And so, uh, but there will be issues that are, you know, Democratic priorities that if the Republicans feel like, hey, maybe I want to run on that issue in, in four years, that they might try to block it or oppose it. And so in those circumstances, we're very comfortable going on it on our own. But I think by and large, good policies done in a bipartisan fashion, and we're going to try to, to move uh, that forward. What do you think the focus should be more on? Making sure that the priorities of the Democrats get pushed through in this session as much as possible, or taking a longer range approach and saying that we should do things to assure that the Democrats are going to continue to stay in majority for cycles going forward? Well, I think you can do both. Um, you know, I think the things that we are pushing and a lot of the ideas that we were trying to push in uh, previous uh, sessions were supported by the general public. You know, you take a look at the favorability of a number of those issues. We already talked about Elliot Larson. That is supported uh, by the general public. It's just the small uh, group of Republicans that sort of control the Republican Party that are opposed to it, and that's why it hasn't moved forward. And I think there's a lot of those types of issues that once we put them forward, once we explain the ramifications, people see how it's going to be implemented, they're going to see support in that. So I don't think pushing Democratic priorities means that we can't keep majority going forward. What about like gun safety? Well, I think there's been a lot of, you know, things that were discussed that have strong bipartisan support. You know, the red flag laws that, you know, we have those in, you know, places like Arizona and other states, right? Why why don't we have that here uh, in Michigan? That's something that has strong bipartisan support, uh, even amongst NRA members. And so I think you'll see some of those types of uh, discussions happen. Uh, but again, we'll be bringing our, our caucuses together to have that conversation and see what the priorities would be in the upcoming session. Six billion dollars is on the balance sheet. Um, do you foresee a spending spree? I would say a spending spree, but I think there's a lot of priorities when you take a look at uh, even K through 12 education. Even though they made historic uh, investments, we're still, if you look at any of the reports that have been done, underfunding in those areas. Same thing with infrastructure, whether it's water infrastructure, roads, and bridges. So even though there is a lot of resources, there's still a lot of need. You know, we took a 20-year period, if you look back from the early 2000s here, where we didn't invest as much as other states did, whether it's in local government, uh, higher education, or take a look at local public health. Uh, we saw the the uh, ramifications of that during COVID. And so to me, it's going to be making investments that are going to be for the long-term uh, safety for our, our state. And some of these areas where we spent 20 years cutting or not increasing uh, along with inflation, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to kind of fill those areas so, again, we can have strong infrastructure, a strong uh, health care system, all the things that people demand from their state government. Last question here for you. What is your biggest concern going into this session? Well, I think there's always uh, expectations uh, that people have that, you know, we need to move this uh, idea first or another idea second. To me, I've told everyone uh, that I've talked to that, hey, we have a two-year window here. Let's be thoughtful about how we uh, put policy forward. Let's make uh, bipartisan uh, wins when possible. When they're not, we'll move forward as, as Democrats only. And I want to move forward in that kind of thoughtful but slow pace. It doesn't have to be a rush out the uh, out the gate. And so to me, that's going to be uh, my motto, slow and steady. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. All right. Sam Singh, he's going to be the Senate Majority Floor Leader for the next session. Appreciate you coming in here on the MERS Monday Podcast. Leader of the pack. 
All right, joining us now for the podcast is Lena Epstein. She is a candidate for the Michigan Republican Party chair's post and uh, had run previously for the University of Michigan Board of Regents. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm so happy to be on your program. Thank you for having me. Well, we're, we're really glad that you're able to make time and come on the program. Well, tell our listeners why you want to be the state party chair. Yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Lena Epstein. I'm honored to be the candidate for Michigan Republican Party chairman. Uh, on November 8th of this year, I uh, 2 million people voted Lena Epstein for U of M regent. And we lost by less than one point as opposed to Tudor Dixon's 11-point loss at the top of the ticket. Uh, That extraordinary performance down ballot for an education race truly set me apart from the pack and presents an important case for Lena Epstein to be the incoming chair of the Michigan Republican Party. I lost by less than one point because I raised the money to compete. No one could overcome Tudor Dixon's 11-plus point loss down ballot, but the fact that I got that close speaks to the power of my candidacy. Um, I'm running for chair to offer fresh leadership, to be a unifying voice amongst the grassroots and the donors across the state. I believe that most Michiganders feel how we feel as conservatives when it comes to country, family, freedom, opportunities, safety, good schools. These, These ideals of our party, most Michiganders hold true to their hearts. So I'm running to fund the operation, to empower the delegates, and to reopen the doors of the Michigan Republican Party so that we prevail across the state in 2024. Uh, Lena, why don't you talk about uh, what you saw as being the big problems for the Republican Party this last cycle? What, what, What was the stumbling block and what do you see needs to be done to fix it? Thank you. Yes, I do see the fundraising issue as the primary reason why we do statewide in election, um, the flow of money is it's a it's an economic force. It's a force of nature that no person can change. Whether we love money in elections or not, it's here to stay. And as a party, we failed to raise the 20 million that I think would have been necessary to compete. The donors um, are have been unplugged. They have not been engaged. And so we really left millions of votes on the table with the independence that we could have reached with more funding. It's a simple answer, but it's a very ambitious issue to properly fund and refund or um, add new funds to our existing party. Question. One, one of the reasons you didn't have the funding that you historically have is the candidates at the top of the ticket weren't supported by traditional groups like the business community. How do you, how do you fix that as chair? I believe it's the role of the Michigan Republican Party chairman to empower the delegates, the primary voters, and stay out of primary fights. Um, I say this with extraordinary respect to my very good friends who are at the Michigan Republican Party today. Historically, in the last number of years, state party has tried to involve itself in primaries and conventions before that occurs. My start in the Michigan Republican Party came from the grassroots as a precinct delegate. Nobody should strip the grassroots of their power. So I do see a return to the influence of the grassroots. Once we're able to do that and state party stays out of primaries, once these folks get through their primary, state party will be there under Lena Epstein's leadership with funds to compete against our primary opponent, which is the Democrat.
as far as um, the um, bringing people together, what, how do you think that you are going to be better suited as far as bringing everyone together than uh, the other folks who are seeking this post, which is a historical number, it sounds like, at this point. Uh, we could have as many as 10 people seeking this post. What do you think you bring as far as uniting people, bringing them together, and rowing in the same direction? And I would be cautious with everything you hear, the number 10. These numbers get thrown around very carelessly. Uh, with all due respect, you know, the, it doesn't really matter the number that's floating around in anybody's head. There are a couple of candidates declared besides me. However, there are no candidates um, like me who are able to raise the millions of dollars to compete. Okay. Um, I have proven over the last 13 years that I'm an avid and extraordinarily accomplished fundraiser. I'm not a professional fundraiser. I'm a business owner and a mother, but it's been put on my heart with extraordinary passion to raise the millions. Um, so nobody else in the field will have that proven ability and the ability to reach new donors going into 2024. My ability be, extends beyond that, though. Um, I'll be a very um, eloquent and refined spokesperson for our party as issues come up. If we see abuses of power from the other side, we will take to the media and let the voting public know. Um, we're not gonna be bullied by people in the party. We're gonna remind each other as a party that we feel the same about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I see the Republican party getting back to the business of winning general elections as the best way to attract top talent statewide. Joining us also on the show here is Ted Goodman, who is supporting your bid and also working to help you get the state party chair's position. Uh, Ted, why did you decide that you wanted to support Lena for this particular role? Look, Lena, uh, Lena Epstein is a proven leader. Uh, her background in business as someone who um, has organized big events with a lot of people. Uh, she understands what it takes to mobilize people. Um, and I know, you know, we've heard a lot about uh, money, right? We've had... You've asked a number of questions this morning about money and having the amount, uh, the proper amount to take on the Democrats. And where that starts is with uh, candidates that inspire voters, right, and inspire donors, small dollar donors uh, to the larger donors. And so um, we all know Lena has the ability to fund this. That's, that's a given. Uh, but our party has consistently underperformed over a number of cycles. And that's not, I'm not pointing the finger at any uh, one person or anybody at the current MIGOP. Um, there's some very good good people there. However, we need to start winning elections. We need to start winning generals. And um, we need to uh, stop allowing Democrats to define our message for us. And someone like Lena Epstein uh, understands what it takes to win uh, the messaging war uh, and to take on a Democrat party that has uh, institutional built-in advantages uh, against us as uh, conservatives. And so having Lena in this role... Um, you know, from a finance component to a political component and a communications component, um, she's able to mobilize the delegates, bring people together uh, so that we can start winning elections again. You know, we, we constantly, as, as the Republican Party, we, we, we buy and we feed our opponents' um, uh, attempt to divide us, right? And we play right into it. And so we become a fractured party, when in reality, we have uh, the ideals and the messaging that appeals to a majority of voters, not just in the state, but in this country. Uh, but Democrats are, have done a good job. And, you know, they have some help with certain legacy media outlets uh, in defining our messaging for us. Lena Epstein is going to be a fighter from day one uh, and get ahead of things 
uh, so that we're winning the messaging war and, and articulating our message in a way that appeals uh, to voters that we need to win over in the future. It hasn't been that long since Republicans had all three uh, legs of the stool of state government, the House, Senate, the governor's office. Uh, I even remember a time when they had all three and included a majority on the Supreme Court. Are you at all concerned that starting out in, in 2023, you're not going to have any of those uh, legs? You're not going to have any of those sort of institutional built-in mechanisms that can help you raise funds and that it are you concerned it could be years or, or many cycles before the Republicans get back into a competitive posture? It's it's going to be up to us. It's going to be up to uh, the party, our voters, our leadership, our delegates coming together uh, uh, and uh, supporting, uh, you know, the uh, a, a strategy, again, that takes on these built-in disadvantages that we face, right? Um, whether we're concerned or not, look, it is what it is. We lost big in Michigan in 2020. And I'll just say, some of our some of the opponents in this race, these are good people, and we need them uh, to remain in the fight. We need them to remain in the fight. However, whatever it is, it didn't work as far as a you know getting our message out. And someone like Lena is able to articulate our message uh, and reach out to new voters, and uh, she won't back down. She's not. She's going to be tough. We need strong fighters who's not going to let the media and the Democrat Party. Uh, set the kind of set the goalposts, right, and decide what, what we're going to talk about and what we're not going to talk about. Um, Lena Epstein is a, a mother, right? She can talk about the issues of education and the important role that parents play in their, in their, in their kids' education. Obviously, as a business professional and leader, uh, she can talk about uh, what it takes to create good-paying jobs um, and bringing good investments to the state of Michigan, right? Um, and so she's proven in her in her personal life and in um, all her philanthropic work, uh, her her dedication uh, to serving others, to giving back. Um, and, and she's not here to play games or make friends. Uh, she's here to uh, do better for our state. And the best way to do that uh, in our minds is to uh, have a big role within the Republican Party to get this message out to voters uh, to fix our state and to fix this country. Uh, Lena, I wanted to ask you specifically about uh, your relationship with former President Trump. Uh, just taking a look back in our archives, the first time we mentioned you in MERS is when you were a co-chair for the Trump party or the Trump uh, campaign back in 2016. Um, are you at all concerned that you were closely viewed as being closely aligned with the former president? And that could, um, I don't know, be a, I don't know if it would be a deterrent or a supporter. I, I'm not quite sure if it's an advantage or a disadvantage, but I want you to address that. Before I answer that, I just want to recognize that Theodore Goodman is arguably the top communications expert nationwide for Republicans. And I am honored by Ted's support. Um, you asked an important question, and I think that when it came to President Trump in 2016, I found him awe-inspiring. He was speaking to me as a voter who felt like I'd been left behind long ago by career politicians who didn't understand the matters that are important to me. As Ted indicated, I am a mother and a business owner. President Trump spoke to policies that would protect my daughter's educational path and would protect parental rights. He had a path for growing the economy, opening up the Keystone Pipeline, making us energy independent. So it was my honor to be his statewide chairman in 2016, and Michigan went red 
for Republicans at the presidential level for the first time in 88. I loved supporting Donald Trump. And I feel that his policies were truly the most outstanding that anyone could have in one's lifetime. Going into 2024, are you going to be supporting him? Because some could view that you're going to go ahead and support him in 24 as well. The, the delegates are going to choose. Um, the voters are going to choose who they want to be their next president. Um, Lena Epstein's individual views on President Trump and other presidential candidates are truly irrelevant for the purposes of this conversation. As incoming chair of the Michigan Republican Party, and yes, we will prevail. As incoming chair, um, it's the job of state party to raise the millions to compete in generals. And we, we are responsible for facilitating some of these primary and convention races, but we must stay out of handpicking. That was I talk about the power of the grassroots, the power of the voter. No one inside of any party apparatus should be manipulating that. We will let our primary voters and delegates make their call. And then once we get through that primary, Chairman Lena Epstein of Michigan Republican Party will have the $20 million to compete against the true opponent, which will be President Biden and Kamala Harris. Ted? So... Let's just, uh, I'm speaking for myself here. President Trump is by far one of the greatest presidents of our lifetimes um, and, and will go down in history as one of the greatest presidents, I believe, in American history uh, for a number of reasons. So when it comes to Lena Epstein and her race for chair, and I'm speaking to the delegates now, um, there are going to be people, and this is because they can't attack Lena for her successful record from a business person to someone who's given so much to the community. You're going to see people pull, try and pull you both ways. There are going to be people that are going to claim Lena Epstein's, you know, 100% only behind, you know, President Trump, and they're going to tie him, tie her to the president. And there'll be others that'll say she's not sufficient, sufficiently with the president, uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Nobody worked harder in the state uh, to ensure President Donald Trump won Michigan in 2016, outside the president himself, of course. Lena Epstein uh, went out there when it was very unpopular to do so uh, as a uh, uh, you know, an upstanding, uh, involved member of her community. She went out there and supported this man uh, because she knew that he was going to be a fighter for working people. And she took a lot of arrows at the time, as, as we all know, a lot of people did. Uh, and so for those that are that are looking forward to another uh, term under President Trump, if that were to happen, you're, no one's going to fight harder uh, in a, in a uh, general fight uh, on behalf of this president than Lena FC. And as Lena said, it's not up to her as the party leader to make these decisions for the delegates. It's not up to her to say, this is who we're going to support. It's up to the delegates. And what you're going to get in Lena Epstein is someone who's going to listen. You know, she's going to be someone who, she understands that party leadership and the delegates, they must work together, not apart, work together to win in 24. That's what you're going to get with Lena Epstein. And she's going to win this thing because of who she is, uh, not because who she supports. Uh, right. But she did, but I want to include that she happened to be the strongest fighter for President Trump here in Michigan, um, and she will again. Thank you very much, and uh, we appreciate the time today. we got to get out of here. Lena Epstein, who is running for the Michigan Republican Party chair post, and Ted Goodman, who is supporting her effort. Appreciate you both being on the MERS podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. Happy holidays. And only 
child alone and wild, a cabinet maker's son. Join us now on the podcast is Tuscola County Republican Party Chair Billy Putman. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So we invited you on because you are expressing interest in running for the state party chair position. Mm -hmm. Tell us where you're at in that process right now as far as collecting the signatures needed to uh, be on the ballot in February. Uh, Signatures are are done and turned in, and I got my approval letter returned to me. And um, so that was was very, very easy. Uh, Everybody was very... uh, uh, excited and uh, open-minded to all the different candidates that are running, and uh, the signature process was was really quite easy. So you got into this fairly early, and, and you've taken some hits for that, but explain why you announced when you did, which was before this election was done. Yeah, our family and I, we prayed about it quite, quite extensively, if this is something we should just jump in feet first. And after we saw uh, a lot of delegates, especially in our area, um, just kind of lost in the process and a lot of new delegates that are lost in the process. Um, we felt it was wise to just announce our candidacy and then move forward and start training people towards uh, the November 8th election, um, what their processes are, um, what they could do to help um, and just really educate uh, not only the delegates, but any members of the Republican Party that want to contribute to the November 8th race. Tell us what your message has been to delegates. Oh, it's very quite simple. Uh, the MIGOP has been, um, with all due respect, leaderless for quite some time. And what I mean by leaderless is um, it says right on your shirt, Republican chairman. And so right off the bat, half the population is already like, eh, I don't know if I like this guy. But <laughs> with that being said, you can be bolder in your um, message to the uh, liberal agendas that you feel are not uh, upholding the standards that we have for our people in Michigan. And so I think it's one of the things the chairman should be doing is being very outspoken against bills or legislation or uh, shutdowns or um, vaccine mandates that don't uphold our core beliefs and uh, be a bright uh, shining hope for those out there that there is somebody fighting for um, the Republican agenda. I don't think that's been happening at all. And you can see that in this last election. I mean, we had a lot of infighting. Uh, we had a lot of uh, legislative uh, members try to increase their leadership through uh, in, par- in party uh, participation without even asking the delegates or the members of the Republican Party what they should be doing. And we lost the House and the Senate. Uh, I think that's a shame. And um, a lot of things need to change. And so I've been telling everybody it, it, it's we're at the bottom. And now it's time to rebuild, rebrand, and uh, re-encourage and reinvigorate our base that politics have has changed. The way we campaign has changed. The tools that we're using has changed. And uh, if we don't get up with the times, uh, we're going to be left behind. And uh, in the next two years, if we don't implement some of these things, we're, we might not even have a Republican Party in Michigan. Now, the knock on you announcing early is that this was self-serving, that you were putting yourself before the success of the party. How would you respond to that? Uh, That's just uh, right off the bat, people that are um, jealous or insecure about their positions. I mean, I've been very forthcoming, not only since I announced in uh, August, but even before then, uh, for the last two years, I've been writing a book on how I think a a better MIGOP uh, should be ran 
Uh, I can show it to you. It's about 900 pages with 900 ideas. pages? Yeah. yeah. 900 um, pages. 900 pages. Like, I got it right here somewhere. Just a second. <laughs> One of the things my dad taught me growing up, the difference between someone that's super smart and a genius, a genius writes everything down. So for the last wow. uh, two years, I've been writing down everything that I've seen from delegate um, uh, things to enhance the voice of the delegate to financial avenues that the MIGOP can take to um, poll challenging to signature counts to how to get better signatures faster and quicker um, a, a quite a broad spectrum of a better business and so that's my message is to run it as a uh, as a business um, if we can make the MIGOP a not which it is a nonprofit but if we can make it financially stable um, the donor base will give just to give and we'll thank them for their their ability to give to make us a stronger party. But in the meantime, everybody, everybody says donor base, donor base, donor base, <clears throat> which I don't disagree with that. There's a lot of donors that want to contribute uh, a lot of different amounts of money from the grassroots to um, even Trump style money or even DeSantis style money. That's great. And that's awesome. But that comes and goes in the seasons. We also need a, a stream of revenue that's constant. Um, that we can increase our coffers with and um, support our candidates with. There, we already have the infrastructure. And one of our, one of the things that our family does is we go into a business and we look at what it needs. And instead of buying uh, our own, instead of hiring out our own services because we're in uh, construction, we do everything in house. And so we buy our materials and, all, and our equipment, and it's sometimes more profitable to buy a piece of equipment than it would be to take a return on your investment for this project. And so by, by increasing our equipment, we increased our ability to expand our business. And so same thing with MIGOP. There should be no reason we shouldn't have a, a state-of-the-art media firm out there reporting conservative news in Michigan um, from an, a, a strictly... Uh, unobjective point of view. There, we should have our own um, infrastructure for signage, for postage, for mailers, for for donor lists, for candidate recruitment, uh, candidate support systems, training. Uh, that's the job of the MIGOP is to train and educate our candidates to be successful in the field. And there is no infrastructure for that place. So that that's why I think it should be ran more as a business than it is a, a political. Realm, if so to speak, because we right off the bat are selling a better way of life. And how do we do that? With better legislators. And so if we just keep it simple, um, we can be financially successful. Okay. So my next question then is um, as far as politics, then, are you a Trump guy? Um, I would say so. I voted for him in the last two elections. So yeah, I would say I'm a Trump guy. Uh, out of all the, the candidates that we had available in 2016 and uh, 2020, I definitely voted for Trump. What about 24? Uh, 24 so far is up in the air. Um, uh, if you were gonna, if you're going to ask me, and this is how I, I, I want to make my bias very clear, and I think as a chairman, you should be able to do that. Um, if you're asking Billy Putman, I will give you my opinion. If you're asking chairman, um, then that has a different set of rules and engagements. Um, what we did in Tuscola County is as a chairman or a vice chair or a secretary or a treasurer, you have to support all the candidates that are running, whether you like them or not. And so all the voices get to be heard, 
equally and uh, on the same playing field. And so that's the same thing. That's, that's the same rules I think we should apply at the MIGOP is all voices uh, get heard uh, equally and with the same graciousness as uh, Trump would to the average uh, Joe. Um, then after the primary, we go full steam ahead. We put down the throttle and support that candidate, either even if you don't like him or, or not. Um, now, if you're asking personal, Billy, yeah, I would like to see uh, four more years of Trump and eight years of DeSantis. That's uh, that would be a perfect world if everybody got along. Um, and so that would be Billy's perfect world. Um, but it doesn't always play out like that. Do you feel like that was the case these last four years? Uh, from my GOP standpoint? Yes. Oh, absolutely not. No, there was like I said, it goes all the way back to lack of leadership. They I they. Uh, jousted their leaders up to the front, um, secretly supported them, um, gerrymandered uh, different bylaws to see that their candidates are taking place. And uh, no, I think it was a complete debacle. And uh, you could see it through the April convention into the August convention. And uh, it created a lot of uh, uh, division in our, our Republican Party from lack of leadership. Most people might know you from the uh, T. LC show meet the Putmans, but that show yeah. uh, tell tell us tell our listeners what that was like uh and that was actually a very very unique experience um we had a lot of fun with it um we're actually working on our uh another season um right now currently but that that show is uh my family and i there is uh, 28 of us um and uh right now my sister and her brother are in nebraska uh, finishing their fellowship. So there's 21 of us all in one house. Uh, there's my mom and dad, uh, myself and my wife, and I have four daughters, uh, my brother and his wife, and he has five daughters. And then my other brother and his wife, and he has a son and three daughters. And then my sister has five sons. Uh, so we all live together in one house. Uh, we just currently finished about two and a half years ago, the house we live in now. It's uh, 36,000 square feet. Um, and uh, we, ha we have a lot of fun. We go to uh, public schools. And so our kids are uh, very active in sports. So it's, it's some, it's very weird to see your kids go out there and uh, uh, on the back of their shirts, it's all the same name. I can, sometimes it's uh, <laughs> kind of intimidating even for myself. I'm like, you know, I know my kids are very athletic, but uh, hey, if you're not first or last, that's what I teach my kids. So be a starter. <laughs> wow. So how often was the television cameras rolling? Oh, yeah. So they were here um, for two years and they were here for a total of four months. And uh, so they'd be here every day for four months um, and they would just follow you around uh, all day and uh, collect uh, footage or uh, events that you might be doing. Uh, we had to give them a list of events like anniversaries and birthdays or groundbreaking so they could uh, have special extra cameras ready and available. Um, that's when we started the, the, the construction of the home where we are in now. And uh, so it was quite, uh, the first two weeks was actually kind of a nightmare. I mean, it was hard to keep people up with you. You know, it's like, hey, we're very fast family. And so you just jump in the truck and go. And they're like, oh, you got to have a camera guy in there. And the truck's not ready to go. And it's like, all right, well, you know, hurry up and wait. And But after about two weeks, uh, they blended right in. And you really never really, really didn't notice them anymore. Um, and then uh, then we could get in a, into a groove. So it's quite, quite the experience. And, and you're going to do another season, it sounds like? 
Yeah, we, we, we took it on YouTube. It's called uh, Growing Up Putman. Uh, so a lot of people wanted to see what the house looked like and uh, what we're doing now. And um, we're talking to a few other networks that want to continue the show. Um, my dad had a massive heart attack. Uh, we did CPR on him for 15 minutes when we were picking out the furniture in Vegas. Um, he actually died. Uh, my brother, who is a family doctor, uh, did CPR for 15 minutes and uh, he cracked 10 ribs and cracked his sternum, um, brought him back and he's got three stents now. So um, the family's just starting to get the energy again to uh, pick up that torch and um, shine a light for the nation to see that uh, the family unit is still alive. It's uh, it's well, and um, it's something that all families should be able to enjoy. Well, that's a heck of a story here, and uh, I guess we'll see how you how uh, if, if uh, there's going to be some good footage that can be used uh, for the state party chair race. That uh, you might have a following there as well. Yeah, it's actually it's a uh, the uh, the excitement and the passion that I'm getting from everybody that I'm talking to is. Uh, it's it's a breath of fresh air to know that as 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 much as November eighth happened uh, the way it happened, the Republican Party still has the fight and vigor to rebuild and rebrand. And so, talking to all the people, it it it, it does it, re, it revitalizes myself to uh, keep pushing back. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast. He is Billy Putnam. He is the Tuscola County Republican Party Chair. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the MERS Monday podcast. Thanks to all our guests today. We had a lot of them. Billy Putman, Lena Epstein, Ted Goodman, Sam Singh, and also to the whole MERS crew for putting in their nominations for Legislator of the Year, the boss John Rurink, Andrew Miniger, Danielle James, Samantha Schreiber, and Lisa Roos Church. Post-production of the MERS Monday podcast is by Mark Bayshore Audio in Okemos. The program is sponsored by AT&T. Until next week when we nominate our House Member of the Year, I'm Kyle Malin. Take care.